Okay, Professor Tofano here. Uh, this is Chapter 10, and this is Part 3 of 3. I know in the previous recordings I may have said Part... Um, there was only going to be two parts. Sorry. There's actually three parts. So, um, together I think it's less than 60 minutes for the three parts. Okay, so I'm on page 324, and we're talking about... Uh, effective communication in families, and we're on page 324, 325. So page 325, encouraging confirming messages, and this is important. Uh, confirming messages are important for not only older children, but for younger children as well. One study found a strong relationship between the amount of confirmation adolescents feel and the openness they exhibit in communicating with their parents. College students are more likely to reveal their risky behavior to family members when they think their response is likely to be confirming versus being uh, critical. Siblings can also be a, a source of confirming messages. Research shows that siblings' relationships can offer a vital support throughout our lives. And another way older siblings can nurture their relationship is by talking about their family, reminiscing about their childhood, crazy family events, wild relatives, um, sharing stories that hold the siblings together, as well as it helps them clarify family events and validates their feelings and life choices. Okay, that's page 325. We're moving on to communication in romantic relationships, starting on page 325. Okay, um, in chapter one, they're reflecting back, they cited numerous studies showing that interpersonal relationships are good for one's emotional, mental, and physical health. A review of other researchers in 2013 says that there is even a more specific, describe, a more specific describing the connection between romantic unions and well-being. In short, people in loving romantic relationships live longer, happier, healthy lives. Unfortunately, the ending of relational partnerships or being in a distressed intimate relationship is linked to illness, depression, and death rates. So you see both sides of uh, romantic unions and relationships, both the good and also the bad here. In a study of more than 2,200 people um, recruited by couples through therapists, communication was rated as the most, um, uh, the most important competency for ensuring a successful relationship. So they're uh, saying communication was rated the most important competency for ensuring success, more than sex and romantic passion are of any other factor. However, I'm not so sure that those 2,200 people are correct. I guess uh, partly it depends upon um, how communication is defined. So um, as a general idea, that probably makes some sense. But as a particular idea, or particularly how communication occurs between partners, um, is going to really be the key there. So um, the idea that communication in general was rated um, more important than sex or romance or even finances, I certainly couldn't ascribe to that. But communication is extremely important uh, to um, certainly to 
uh, after we've already developed the relationship, certainly to maintain it and to and to develop intimacy and maintain intimate relationships. But we'll talk more about that as the pages allow. So on page 326, it talks about um, the focus on communication in romantic relationships, which we broadly define, uh, well, romantic relationships, they broadly define as longer-term loving connections between partners. These relationships can include couples who are dating exclusively, who shack up together, and or uh, spouses that have been married for years. The crucial issue is whether the people involved identify themselves as romantically connected, right? Romantically connected. So on page 326, characteristics of romantic relationships, and it says here to start off, are we just friends or something more? It's not unusual for couples to ask questions such as this to determine if they're moving in a romantic, uh, moving into a romantic relationship. Although the lines of demarcation aren't always clear in this, in this section, we look at three characteristics that typify most romantic relationships. Uh, love, commitment, and affection. So love, commitment, and affection. Love. More than two millennia ago, Aristotle maintained that love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. His mentor, Plato was a bit more cynical. Love is a serious mental disease, is what Plato is quoted as saying. Philosophers and artists throughout the years have waxed eloquently about love with mixed conclusions about its joys and sorrows. One researcher says that love plays a powerful role in people's lives, determining how satisfied they are in relationships and how committed they are to it, and at least in premarital relationships, whether or not the relationship will continue. So if you ask a dozen scholars a definition of love, you'll get different responses for sure. But um, on page 327, figure 10.2, there's an interesting um, visual display of what is called uh, the triangle theory of love by Sternberg, who is a social scientist. And um, Robert Sternberg developed this, uh, I guess, appreciated theory of called the triangle theory of love and he mentions he he argues that love has three components intimacy passion and commitment intimacy it's the closeness and connectedness one feels in relationships passion involves a physical attraction and emotional arousal including sexuality and then commitment this is the rational side of love involving decisions to maintain a relationship over time um yeah so look at that triangle because it's very interesting how at the top we have intimacy, bottom left passion, bottom right commitment, and then along those different lines of the triangle of uh, romantic love, compassionate, uh, uh, factuous love, like infatuation, uh, those kind of things. So I, I think that um, it's not a, uh, it's a pretty reliable um, view or reliable um, a figure to kind of take a look at that and see if you can make some sense out of it. Consummate love is in the center, which is the uh, uh, is the the goal: intimacy, passion, and commitment. Okay, so um, if you consider romantic partners, you partnerships you've been involved in or observed, you can probably think of examples of all types of love depicted in that triangle. You can also likely see how the factors ebb and flow over time, and that's true too. 
Relational commitment involves a promise, sometimes implied, sometimes explicit, to remain in the relationship and to make the relationship successful. So if you have ever seen a movie where there was a wedding, because there's not that many of those uh, lately, but um, where two people stand in front of friends and family and are their relationship is solemnized by um, some type of religious officiant. And then um, they say certain things to each other and uh, usually they call them vows, V-O-W-S. You may have seen that and that is a obvious um, verbal, oral, and also a visual representation of relational commitment which involves, in this case, an explicit, an explicit agreement to remain in the relationship and oftentimes it says for better or worse, richer or poor, and then to death us do part. So that would be um, the ultimate and the relational commitment that says basically no matter what, uh, we will remain together until one of us dies. So those are called wedding vows. You can look those up or see an old movie. Uh, that idea where two people uh, fall in sex with each other and then want to um, do that on a regular basis. But um, culture, uh, religion, or family require some type of um, uh, vow in uh, a marriage ceremony to make that all legitimate, then that would be the ultimate in commitment, um, wedding vows and weddings and public, those kind of things. Okay, and then um, it says here, a cultural note about commitment. It's decidedly a Western approach to view commitment as a culmination of romantic love. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. That used to be a little ditty that people would sing. Many of the world's marriages are arranged and their axiom as first comes marriage, then comes love. In a study of satisfied couples in arranged marriages, commitment was identified as the most important factor that helped their love flourish over time. The second most important factor was communication with a strong emphasis on self-disclosure as a means to learn to love one's mate. Regardless of the order, there is a strong relationship between commitment, communication, and successful relationships, which is true. In fact, in countries where there is either directly arranged marriages or semi-arranged marriages, there is um, a very um, low rates of divorce, very low, very low rates of marital dissatisfaction. So I know that sometimes students will say, well, in those countries that are completely arranged marriages, or in most cases it's semi-arranged, there's, there's a few cultures that still have uh, arranged marriages where even when the, the, the uh, child, boy or girl, are young, they are then committed to one another. And then when they're older, it could be 16, 17, 18, they're officially um, united in some type of uh, marriage ceremony. And then in most countries, it's really semi-arranged, which means the exact person is not picked out, but the parents say, you can pick your spouse out of this group of people, not, not identifying one particular person, but just saying 
this group of this group of men or this group of women, you can choose from that group. Uh, so that's really a semi-arranged marriage. And in the, the arranged and semi-arranged marriages, there's high levels of relational satisfaction, high levels of marital satisfaction, and very low rates of divorce and uh, dissolution of relationships. And it's, and believe it or not, it's more than just the fact that the uh, the couples. Um, choose to stay together because in these arranged marriages the or the semi-arranged mainly is both parents of both the, uh, the the man and the woman the parents know a lot better what their what their children uh, require need or or how and who they would get along with and so the idea is that when the parents pick they pick more rationally than the individuals would pick. And so the adding that rationality to the choice and sexual partners, especially long-term sexual partners, parents have a much better true understanding of what their children need or want or desire. And they also understand their personalities and they understand compatibility better than the individual parties. That is the theory. Um, and, and why those relationships are so satisfying for those individuals. Okay, moving on to, uh, we're on page 329, affection. And it says, uh, expressions of affection, both verbal and nonverbal, are typical in romantic relationships. They can range from holding hands to saying, I love you, to sexual behavior. Romantic affection is often communicated privately. Sometimes it's expressed publicly, or PDA. Communicating affection is beneficial for romantic partners in a variety of ways. Married and shacking up couples were asked to increase their amount of romantic kissing over a six-week period and compared to a control group, uh, which was the frequent kissers experienced improvements not only in their stress and relationships, but also in, in their cholesterol. I'm not sure how that worked. That was weird. Other research shows similar physiological benefits of expressing affection verbally, both in person and in writing. Um, in terms of relational benefits, received affection work like a bank account. When a loved one has made plenty of deposits of affection, the partner is more willing to overlook a transgression than when the affection account is depleted. Yeah, kind of makes sense, right? Uh, there can be discrepancies between feelings and, expression, uh, feelings and expressions of affection. Perhaps recall when you said love you at the end of a phone call despite not feeling very charitable towards your partner. Maybe you gave them a partner hug or kiss in the midst of a disagreement, even though it didn't match your emotional state. Communication researchers call these acts deception affection, and they say they're common in romantic relationships. Rather than being negative, deceptions of this sort can be normal. And of course, while you're busy deceiving your partner with these words and behaviors, you might be just convincing yourself um, of something more positive. So I think um, this whole idea of um, deception affection is kind of an interesting idea. Um, acting in a loving way even though you don't feeling, feel loving. And I think that there are some benefits to that for sure. Okay, and then it says here at the bottom of 329, sexual behavior is an important means of expressing and receiving affection in most romantic relationships. One research review notes that the strongest and most reliable predictor of sexual satisfaction in a relation, relational review... Okay, let me say that again. Research indicates that the strongest and most reliable predictor of sexual satisfaction is relational satisfaction. So how satisfied are you in the relationship? Uh, 
In other words, sex is best enjoyed as part of a healthy romantic relationship. Communication also plays an important role. There's a strong correlation between a couple's communication skills and their sexual satisfaction. Um, contrary to some uh, media depictions of passionate sex occurring in a wordless vacuum, researchers show that sexual activity is more satisfying when accompanied by direct communication. Well, you'll have to look that up. Okay, moving on here on page 330 to effective communication in romantic relationships. Learning love languages, managing social media uh, are the two uh, final points in the chapter on dimensions of interpersonal relationships. So effective communication in romantic relationships. We identify some ways to improve communication in romantic relationships, such as conversing about commitment and displaying affection. We look now at two ways to enhance romantic interaction. Here are the two. Learning love languages and then managing social media. Uh, there are a couple of different books on, quote, love languages. Again, in my opinion, these are less reliable, but they're interesting ideas. Um, Gary Chapman uh, and other people have written, um, uh, you know, self-help um, kind of books in this area of love languages. So they talk about words of affection, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. They're interesting, but at least in my mind, um, I think everybody appreciates in any, in any romantic relationship, you, you would appreciate words of affection, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, as over the time of the relationship, as it evolves and changes, that um, maybe the partners will, uh, out of these uh, five, you could say, well, physical touch is more or less important now than it was then, or words of uh, affirmation, quality time, those, those kind of things. And so they do change as the uh, partners change and as um, the length of the relationship changes. But, but one of the less reliable components of this is that um, it just strikes me as that all of these so-called love languages, every um, partnership would enjoy maybe to some degree more or less. But words of affection, quality time, uh, gifts, acts of service, physical touch. I think out of those um, gifts... Um, again, they, at certain points in the relationship, uh, at certain points in the development of the relationship, some of these maybe in the, in the beginning um, may be more important than others um, over, as they ebb and flow over time. But managing social media, this one may be, um, may be um, especially in today's social media age, whether it's Facebook, whether it's um, any of the other things that you all use, and primarily maybe the phone and texting. And I've said this many, many times, that um, the, the um, electronic devices will be a barrier to um, satisfying intimate relationships because the focus on the um, devices definitely takes time away from the partners. And it does also create some bad habits where uh, we confuse communicating electronically with face-to-face -face communication, and they're so different. But at, over time, it may confuse the partners to think that communicating electronically is just as important to communicating face-to-face. Um, -face. 
and also uh, too many um, young people, especially uh, my students or former students, especially in the last eight or nine years, uh, I've talked to them about the things that they will communicate in writing. It used to be emails, and now it's texts where they'll communicate mean, rotten things that are memorialized, uh, maybe never ever go away, I don't know, or maybe they're stuck somewhere in memory, but certainly they're easy for partners to go back and look at over and over and over again. It's one thing to say something mean, but it's a lot uh, deeper um, and a lot more serious to communicate mean things in writing, whether again in the, in the uh, five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago or more. It would may may have been communicated via email, but uh, currently it would be usually through texting or messaging on the phones or through um, the different social medias, social media um, uh, uh, channels. So I would be I look at this section because um, this section is definitely the newest section. Some of the stuff is 2013, 2014. So you're talking six, seven, eight, nine years, which is pretty current. On page 331, there's an interesting uh, picture of a bride and a groom uh, on top of a cake, and they're both texting. And, of course, they're going to have children, and then they should add a child there who also has an iPad um, and is obsessed with it as well. So uh, take a closer look at, at this section. It says, um, it's no longer unusual for romantic partners to begin online their relationships. So some of you and some other people have, and maybe in some cases they've had uh, good results from that. But even couples who initiate their romance in person need to manage their use of social media. A recent study found that 27% of online adults in romantic partnerships say the Internet has had an impact on their relationship. Not all the impact is positive. About a quarter of the cell phone users in the study said the phone distracts from romantic partners when they are alone together. And sometimes I see this when we're out at a restaurant or just out and about. It looks like um, a couple that is probably a, uh, a committed couple, and they're both sitting at the, the table in a restaurant, and they're both looking at their phones, texting, and they're not even not even looking at each other, nor are they communicating. And then, um, and in some cases, if there's children involved, you could see the children with their devices, and nobody is making eye contact, nobody is communicating, nobody is developing relationships. They're all on their devices. This is not a. Um, it's not a good thing, and the consequences not only for couples but for societies uh, certainly is not is not good. It says your communication via mediated channels such as texting, instant messages, and social media uh, can be an ingredient of relational maintenance. So maintaining the relationship may work. Um, it may. It says one indicator of romantic commitment is making an effort to communicate regularly. An easy way to do this is through either calling someone on the phone or texting them. So one study shows a positive relationship between mobile device use and feelings of commitment and romantic relationships. Keep in mind, however, that it's possible to have too much of a good thing. Um, although expressing affection via text can enhance a relationship, a romantic relationship, it's not a good medium for addressing serious issues. And that is a good point. Um, I advise, my opinion is, do not communicate any negative emotions via the texting machine. Uh, anything negative or anything serious should be kept for face-to-face -face discussions. Um, it just will lead to um, uh, create uh, challenges to face-to-face -face communication if you communicate 
things, serious uh, issues via the text. A couple's use of social networking uh, sites both reflect and affect their, how their partners feel about each other. So in regards to all of those, um, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, if you are using those things and your partner is using them and you're both doing separate things, uh, there may be some concern about um, what the partner is actually texting, using, or doing, um, and it can create other kinds of issues of jealousy and mistrust. So I do recommend that if you're doing that, make sure that both partners have passwords uh, those passwords aren't secret, and that both partners have access and passwords to those, uh, those um, you know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever, so there's no sense that they couldn't look in at those at any time and, and see exactly what the partners are communicating, which is one area that develops high levels of trust between partners. Okay, so that is part three of Dimensions of Interpersonal Relationships. Um, uh, it's chapter 10, and this is Professor Tefano out.